In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. All Saints' Day and All Souls' Day are ultimately two perspectives on the same feast. All Saints bears witness to the destiny of those who are called by Christ in their glory as they surround the throne of Christ and worship Him forever. All Souls' Day, though, takes up the vantage point of the saints who are being saved in and through their sojourning and Christian warfare in the world. Ultimately, this brief season of Hallowtide draws out the paradoxical relationship that all Christians have with the reality of death and prepares us for the end of the world that we observe at Advent. On the one hand, all Christians bear an unflinching witness to the dying of the world and suffer themselves the symptoms of this dying through their own mortal deaths. Death is the inevitable consequence of all departures from the ways of the Lord that alone can lead to life. This is manifested in God's pronouncement after the fall in Genesis 3 when the Lord decrees that for their sin, the humans would return to their dust from which they were taken. This self-inflicted curse then culminated in the conspiracy to murder the Son of God. Having crucified the light and life of men, the world and its collaborators embraced a grievous and terminal condition. As humans experience it, Death is the horrible endgame of its rebellion against God, a dismal Sabbath rest to crown our work of anti-creation. Death and all of its lesser forms in sickness and corruption and guilt are reminders of that fundamental futility of our self-reliance and of our delusions of grandeur. As St. Paul says, the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is law. Death has two horizons in the Christian faith. Death is first a tenuous state of separation from our bodies in what is called the intermediate state prior to the resurrection. Christians are historically divided about the duration and the quality of this intermediate state, but all Orthodox Christians assent to the words of Jesus that all the departed will be reunited with undying bodies and enter into blessedness or damnation. The second horizon of death, which Scripture calls the second death, is the almost unimaginable destiny of the lost after the resurrection a kind of ceaseless death beyond death for those who can never really cease to be. Christians profess the second death as a possible outcome for all human beings who have been given the capacity to depart from the will of God, the logical conclusion of our ability to reject salvation. For the Christian... This truth is only barely endurable because of the way we are enabled to uniquely carry it with us in the virtue we call humility. Humility is the taproot virtue of the Christian life because it frames our life 
with the knowledge that we are all going to face death. All Christian piety and sense of identity begins in the acknowledgement that there is an immense enemy out there that we cannot defeat ourselves, a problem that we cannot of ourselves solve. And many heresies develop out of our attempts to deny or distract from the inevitability of death. This is an affront, of course, to our current culture's tendency to see itself as an ingenious collective who can fix anything that is broken and answer any question so long as we give it enough attention and elbow grease. But Christian humility in the first step is expressed best in the words of the imposition of ashes on Ash Wednesday. Remember, O man, that dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. This humility disposes us to seek help from beyond ourselves and orients our hearts to be receptive to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the one who comes to crush the dominion of death and give the eternal life of God himself to those who believe in him. The prayers of All Souls Day shepherd us into an understanding of what it means to have a good death, and thus prepares us to have the end in mind to lead a good life. The regular practice of praying for the dead, which has been with the church since her beginning, unites us in a common prayer with those who have gone before us. As we pray now, so they once prayed. It is the service of brotherly Christian love that they offered. It is the same service that we offer now tonight. And it is what will be offered by all those who come after us. Prayers for the dead and join us as well to the prayer of Jesus himself, who intercedes before the Father on behalf of all humanity and asks that his Father would forgive them of their sins. Because we are commanded to love our neighbor as ourselves, because we are commanded by Christ to love one another as he loves us, and because the apostles taught reflecting on the teaching of Jesus, led by the Spirit, that death does not separate us from union with Christ, and by virtue of that union with each other. We have every good reason, then, to confidently pray for the departed in Christ and to trust that they are praying for us. Prayers for the dead liberate us from valuing prayer only within the narrow confines of immediate effectiveness. So often, we pray only when we expect a tangible result right now. But the kind of needs and gifts that the departed experience in the intermediate state, and so much more in the life of the world to come in the resurrection, these are largely withheld from our vision. We don't know what they are, and so we don't really know how to pray. To pray for the dead is a powerful call to entrust every horizon of our expectation in our prayer to a place and time that is beyond our sight, to something beyond the demand of the moment, 
to something beyond what can be quantified in the effectiveness of the here and now. Through this service we offer of commending our dead to God, we are in turn more able to entrust many things to God, free of requiring that tangible effect. This expands meaningfully our experience of prayer. We begin to pray with a perspective defined by the kingdom of God in the resurrection and not in the moving parts and the dust that's blowing about in a world that is dying and can only die. On All Souls Day, we come to Mass to return again to Jesus, even as we are at the same moment faced with the last great enemy, who is death. For Christians, death is not a problem to solve or a question to answer. Death is an enemy to be destroyed by Jesus. As our Orthodox brethren declare in their prayers, Christ has trampled down death by death. Death itself is now dying because the Lord of life has banished it from his kingdom of life. We return to Jesus because Jesus always wants to destroy death in us and around us and in all the things he loves. And he extends real life to us now in the sacrament as a pledge of the eternal life he will bestow upon the victorious faithful who die in him. For even as the world does all it can to hopelessly cast off the chains of death its master, Christians are called to boldly profess that all death can do in the end is kill us, and that after it has killed us, then is the immortality of Christ. We are only able to pray for our dead because of this hope, inspired by the promise of Jesus himself when he said, Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. And in that promise alone, we can then pray with the confidence that St. Paul prayed. Thanks be to God, who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.